0: Hey, welcome to The Walk On Podcast, I'm Brent Faulkner. And in this episode, we continue looking at the chronicles of Narnia in this season of Lent as we prepare our hearts for Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. Today, we read from The Last Battle. As the name implies, it's the last book in the Narnia series. As the events of the book unfold, the Narnians are deceived into following a false Aslan with the country in disarray and invading army attacks. And the book's climactic battle happens around a stable on a hill. The enemy army overpowers the heroes and force them into the stable to meet their demise. But this is no ordinary stable. The heroes find that the inside of the stable is a doorway to Aslan's country a heaven-like setting that is more the real Narnia than the place they just left. Tyrion, the Narnian king, is taken back by this surprise. We read, Tyrion looked round again and could hardly believe his eyes. There was the blue sky overhead and a grassy country spreading as far as he could see in every direction and new friends all around him laughing. It seems then, said Tyrion, smiling to himself, that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once held something inside that was bigger than our whole world. But as we read on we realized that not everyone who entered the stable was aware of the beauty within. Lucy notices a group of dwarves huddled together. Earlier in the story, these dwarves, disillusioned and cynical from being fooled by the fake Aslan, vowed to look out only for themselves. And now Lucy finds them in Aslan's country, and we read what happens as she approaches them. Lucy led the way, and soon they could all see the dwarves. They had a very odd look. They weren't strolling about or enjoying themselves, nor were they lying down or having a rest. They were sitting very close together in a little circle facing one another. They never looked round or took any notice of the humans till Lucy and Tyrion were almost near enough to touch them. Then the dwarves all cocked their heads as if they couldn't see anyone, but were listening hard and trying to guess by the sound what was happening. "'Look out,' said one of them in a surly voice. "'Mind where you're going. Don't walk in our faces.' "'All right,' said Eustace indignantly. "'We're not blind. We've got eyes in our head.' "'Well, they must be darn good ones if you can see and hear,' said the same dwarf whose name was Diggle. "'In where?' asked Edmund. "'Why, oh, you bonehead, in here, of course, in this pitch-black, pokey, smelly little hole of a stable.' Oh, are you blind?' said Tyrion." Why well, ain't we all blind in the dark?' said Diggle. "'But it isn't dark, you poor stupid dwarves,' said Lucy. "'Can't you see? Look up, look round. "'Can't you see the sky and the trees and the flowers? "'Can't you see me? "'Well, how in the name of all humbug can I see what ain't there? "'And how can I see you any more than you can see me in this pitch darkness?' "'Well, but I can see you,' said Lucy.' "'I'll prove I can see you. "'You've got a pipe in your mouth.' "'Oh, anyone who knows the smell of baccy "'you can tell that,' said Diggle. "'Oh, the poor things. "'This is dreadful,' said Lucy. "'Then she had an idea. "'She stooped and picked up some wild violets. "'Listen, Dwarf,' she said. "'Even if your eyes are wrong, "'perhaps your nose is all right. "'Can you smell that?' "'She leaned across and held the fresh, damp flowers "'to Diggle's ugly nose. "'But she had to jump back quickly "'in order to avoid the blow from his hard little fist.' None of that. How dare you? What do you mean by shoving that lot of filthy stable litter in my face? There's a thistle in it, too. It's like your sauce. And who are you anyway? Earthman said Tyrion. She is the Queen Lucy sent hither by Aslan out of the deep past. And it is for her sake and her sake alone that I, Tyrion, your lawful king, do not cut all your heads from your shoulders, proved and twice proved traitors that you are. Well, if that doesn't beat everything, exclaimed Diggle, how can you go on talking that rot? Your wonderful lion didn't come through to help you, did he? Thought not. And how even now, when we've been beaten and shoved in this black hole just the same as the rest of us, you're still at your old game, starting a new lie, trying to make us believe we're none of us shut up and it ain't dark and heaven knows what. Well, there is no black hole, save in your own fancy fool, cried Tyrion. Come out of it. And leaning forward, he caught Diggle by the belt and hood and swung him right out of the circle of dwarfs. But the moment Tyrion put him down, Diggle darted back to his place among the others, rubbing his nose and howling. Oh, oh what would you do that for, banging my face against the wall? You've nearly broken my nose. Oh, dear, said Lucy. What are we to do for them? "Ah, Let him alone, said Eustace. But as he spoke, the earth trembled. The sweet air grew suddenly sweeter. A brightness flashed behind them. All turned. Tyrion turned last because he was afraid. There stood his heart's desire, huge and real. The golden lion, Aslan himself, and already the others were kneeling in a circle round his forepaws and burying their hands and faces in his mane as he stooped his great head to touch them with his tongue. Then he fixed his eyes upon Tyrion. Tyrion came near, trembling, and flung himself at the lion's feet and the lion kissed him and said, well done, last of the kings of Narnia, who stood firm at the darkest hour. Aslan, said Lucy through her tears, could you, will you, will you do something for these poor dwarves? Dearest, said Aslan, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. He came close to the dwarves and gave a low growl. But the dwarves said to one another, hear that? Oh, that's the gang at the other end of the stable trying to frighten us. They do it with a machine of some kind. Don't take any notice. They won't take us in again. Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly a glorious feast appeared on the dwarves' knees. Pies and tongues and pigeons and trifles and ices, and each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand. But it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough, but it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay. Another said he got a bit of an old turnip. And a third said he'd found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised the golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. Never thought we'd come to this. But very soon, every dwarf began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than he had. And they started grabbing and snatching and went on quarreling till in a few minutes there was a free fight and all the good food was smeared on their faces and clothes or trodden underfoot. But when at last they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all said, Well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarves are for dwarves. You see, said Aslan, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only a prison in their own minds, yet they are in that prison, and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. What if, like the dwarfs, the thing holding you captive is your mind? Cynicism, disillusionment, past hurt, fear, anxiety, pride can all keep us from experiencing the beauty and joy of God's presence, even when it's right in front of us. We all have thought patterns and worldviews and ingrained responses that can hold us captive. Some we learn from our culture. Others we learn from our families. Others we develop in response to pain or trauma or fear. But all of these things can keep us from experiencing the presence of God to its fullest. I know I found myself becoming more critical and more cynical this past year. And I see it in so many others and all over our culture. And often our cynicism and our criticism, are defense mechanisms, they protect us from being hurt by keeping everything at a distance. But they also absolutely kill our joy. So is there anything holding you captive? Do you have any thought patterns, worldviews, subconscious responses that are keeping you from experiencing God's presence and living life to the fullest that he created you to live? You know, freedom from captivity is a core theme woven throughout the Bible, the exodus from Egypt, uh, the return of the exiles from Babylon, and Jesus when he began his public ministry he stepped into a temple, asked for a scroll from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, unrolled it and read, The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has upended the kingdoms of this world. He sets the captives free. And now we get to be transformed into the people God created us to be, allowing him to transform our thoughts, our attitudes, our worldviews, and free us from the things that hold us captive, including our own minds. The Apostle Paul understood this as he wrote in Romans 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul writes, We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You don't have to let your mind keep you held captive. You can take captive that which holds you captive. The promise of this scripture is that we don't have to remain captive to our mind, that we can take captive that which holds us captive. The spirit of God living inside each of us can help us identify those things and can help us begin to change what is keeping us from experiencing God's presence. So what's holding you captive? With God's help, you can take captive that which holds you captive, and you can find freedom and peace and joy. So I invite you into a time of reflection and imaginative prayer where we're going to ask God to show us the mindsets and thought patterns that might be holding us captive and keeping us from experiencing the fullness of his joy and his love. So before we begin, I invite you to find a place where you can focus and find a posture where you can be comfortable yet attentive. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this moment. We ask you to speak to our hearts and our minds Help us see what you want us to see and experience what you want us to experience. Amen. Take a couple deep breaths as we begin. Imagine that you are sitting in a chair at the eye doctor. You're looking through the apparatus with the wheel full of lenses. And right now, things are blurry. The lenses slowly start rotating through, and with each click of the lens, God is revealing what is holding you captive. What are you seeing? Cynicism? Fear, past hurt, anxiety, pride. What is God revealing to you in this moment? If you sense God has revealed something to you, Will you speak that out loud back to him? Whisper it if you need to, but I'd encourage you to say it out loud. What has God revealed to you that is holding you captive? Speak that out to God. Now, imagine as those words leave your lips, God takes a net and captures that thing that's held you captive. And the moment he captures those words in his net, the windowless walls of the eye doctor's exam room begin to dissolve all around you. You now see that behind the walls is a beautiful meadow, a blue sky with fluffy white clouds, soft grass under your feet, a gentle breeze blowing, and the warmth of the sun on your skin. You feel a sense of freedom you haven't felt before. You look over and next to you is Jesus, his face full of love and compassion for you. Your spirit and your heart are at peace. And Jesus turns to you, places his hands on your shoulders looks you in the eyes and says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. May we experience the freedom of Jesus's grace mercy, peace, and love. He sets the captives free. I'll be posting more Lenten Reflections from the Chronicles of Narnia So be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out. Thanks for listening.